Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence that feels extra present today. I don't know. Uh, we thank you for the reminder of all the ways that you accompany us in all the forms. And we ask that your spirit will be with us, shape us and mold us that we might hear your word for us today. Amen. So today is the last week in our season of creation where we've been looking at the birds of Christianity. And at first I thought this might be a little bit of a stretch, but it's been wonderful to look at how Christianity has used birds throughout history to teach about God. And now that we are wrapping up, I wanted to to pick a majestic bird that could sort of like encapsulate all that we've enjoyed throughout the season. And my first instinct was to go with something really intelligent, like the African gray parent that You know, Harvard researchers have found that they have the intelligence of about a six-year-old child. But I also, you know, considered the Himalayan monal pheasant because it was the most beautiful bird I could find, those vibrant, glorious colors. And I also considered the the bar-tailed garwit that flies 7,000 miles without stopping. Yeah, that's right. But that those aren't like technically in the Bible. So I thought I should pick the most grand, most majestic bird that is actually in the Bible. The vulture. Well, so maybe majestic is a stretch, since most of us hate vultures, and we have good reason. Vultures are disgusting, really disgusting. In fact, here are my top five most disgusting vulture facts. Number one, vultures project vomit in the face of anything that scares them. That, that's from a YouTube video you don't want to watch. Number two, vultures love eating human excrement. Number three, vultures are bald so their feathers don't get ruined when they stick their whole head inside a dead carcass. Oops, I got ahead of myself. You know what's coming. Vultures, number four, vultures are constantly defecating all over themselves, and at most times they have feces all over their legs. And number five, vultures eat so much dead flesh in a meal that they are too heavy to fly. So they just waddle around the ground and sit and grunt while their food digests. Nah, that's vultures. And, and actually, I will give you a sixth one for free. 
Vultures want to eat us. A vulture would love to eat you, but you need to die first. A vulture will circle, waiting for you to die so they can eat you. And this is, that's where we really start to get like squeaked out by vultures. The idea of our bodies being eaten by vultures is terrifying because that means we weren't buried. We had no funeral. Perhaps we were left to die or our bodies were thrown aside without care or love. That, that idea is so scary that Goliath threatens David by saying, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds. And we, we sort of presume that means vultures. But vultures are not the only birds that eat dead flesh. You know, bald eagles eat roadkill, and we don't hate them. So maybe I should have gone with the eagle, because after all, we had that beautiful scripture from Isaiah 40 that promises that, that those who trust in the Lord won't be tired, they'll They will soar on eagles' wings. It reminds us of another famous scripture from Exodus, where God says, You've seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Eagles are one of our favorite birds, and they're all over the Bible. But I got bad news. Those eagles in the Bibles, they vultures. The Hebrew word for eagle, there we go, I'm back. The Hebrew word for eagle in the Bible is nesher. And when we look up nesher in the dictionary, we find that the first definition is actually a vulture. Because the, the, uh, in both Greek and in Hebrew, there's only one word, it's the same word for eagle and vulture which means that anytime you see eagle or vulture in the Bible, you can switch them. Because we don't know when to translate Nesher as eagle and when to translate it as vulture. But there is a really common pattern. Whenever we want a verse to be scary or disgusting, translators choose vulture. But if we want people to feel good, the translators use eagle. But that has nothing to do with the words in the Bible or what the prophet said. It just has everything to do with us and what we think about vultures and eagles. I mean, how would you like reading? Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like vultures. We prefer the wings of eagles. Eagles are a symbol of strength, a great hunter, an emblem of military might. Vultures, on the other hand, survive on the bodies of animals they don't even kill themselves. We like them, or we dislike them so much, we've turned their name into an insult. We call someone a vulture if they benefit from someone's suffering. But, but that's about us. Vultures haven't always been hated. In ancient Egypt, vultures were seen as the mother god, a high-flying goddess whose wings protect and encompass us all. A picture of the vulture was the first letter of the hieroglyphic alphabet, and it represented a mother or a grandmother. And the ancient Egyptians believed that vultures were only female, 
and were impregnated by the wind. And sort of of a similar idea, medieval bestiaries compared the vulture to Virgin Mary because they also believed that female vultures didn't need a male to conceive. In antiquity, vultures were not hated like they are today. So maybe we do want to mount up on the wings of a vulture, the mother that watches us from above. Though, rather ironically, vultures' wings aren't that powerful. They're, they're pretty weak compared to an eagle. Eagles rely on, on brute strength. But vultures, vultures are way more, way more zen than that. Instead of powerful wings, they use the communal energy of thermal radicals. Basically, the sun warms the earth, which warms the air, which expands and pushes them upward, way upward. Most birds fly to about 500 feet. In 1973, a vulture collided with an airplane at 38,000 feet, the highest any bird has ever been recorded flying. The vulture's wings aren't mighty, but she uses the energy of the earth to circle and soar high above us. So to me, the wings of the vulture actually fit my experience of God. God's never come at me with brute force of like a powerful eagle beating its strong wings. Faith's been more like a vulture's slow circling, where I rise and fall with the currents, never quite the master of my own destiny. To me, faith isn't dramatic, like an eagle attacking its prey. Rather, I've found faith build slowly and subtly as I open myself to see God in the world around me. And I can't really do it myself. My wings are weak, like the vulture. So I need community to lift me up like the wind and, and help me see all that I'm missing. So I like the idea of resting on vultures' wings. Because even though they might be weak, they receive the energy of the sun and the earth to lift them higher than any other bird. And it's not just the wings of the vulture that are amazing. They have the best guts. Vultures eat an incredible amount of meat. A vulture can eat two pounds of meat in a minute. That, think about that. That's like a 16-ounce steak every 30 seconds. And, and it might gross us out to think about vultures devouring a dead carcass, but humans are a species that eats dead animals, and frequently the animals that we eat were raised on huge farms where they were treated cruelly their whole life. And vultures... They're the opposite of that. Their meat has either died of natural causes or has been killed by another animal. In fact, vultures are an essential part of an ecosystem because they clean the world of dead carcasses that rot and spread diseases. If vultures die off, the world gets sick. And we know this because it happened in the 1990s in India when a painkiller that was used for livestock caused most of the population of vultures to die. Within a decade, the population of feral dogs quadrupled. The rat population soared, rabies spread, and 50,000 people died. The Indian government made this massive effort uh, to bring back the vulture 
by like banning the, the painkiller and also creating the vulture restaurants where they could come and get clean food and be re- rehabilitated, somehow we seem to have forgotten that vultures cleanse the world. But we used to know that. The Mayans called vultures death eaters because they would stare at the face of death and consume it. They honored the bird that cleaned the world. And it wasn't so long ago that we actually loved and appreciated vultures. It was less than three years ago that the, the vultures we have in Washington, turkey vultures, received their scientific name, Cathartes aura, which means the golden purifile, the, great, the bird of great value that purifies our world. So when I, when I think back to our scripture. I remember that God can either be like an eagle or a vulture. That's our choice. The language lets us choose. So what should we choose? What sounds more true? What sounds more like God? A bird that is a fierce warrior relying on strength to kill? Or a bird that can take all of the dead things we leave behind and make them clean? a bird that can even cleanse death itself. To me, I'll go with the golden purifier, the death eater, the mother that soars above us all. But it's hard to choose the vulture because our whole lives we've been told that vultures are ugly and revolting. We've been told to fear this omen of death, to bristle at its bald head and awkward body. We've been taught that we should hate the vulture and love our national bird, the eagle. But what makes eagles more beautiful than vultures? We do. Our culture has ingrained in us a narrow vision for what's beautiful. It's it's a narrow vision that that looks at the vulture and calls it ugly. It's that, that same vision that looks at us and says, oh, you're not beautiful unless you're skinny or voluptuous or muscular or hip or put together or whatever we aren't. We've been trained to dismiss the beauty all around us, from the bird that cleanses the world to the beauty that lies inside each one of us. We we allow our, our narrow vision of beauty to define ourselves as ugly. And when we do that, we, we risk forgetting that God's image lies deep inside us all this beautiful divine spark that enlivens us if we have the courage to seek it out. And, and, and I, I'll admit, it's not easy. We need to work to see the beauty in all the things our world has said are ugly. But we don't need to like lie to ourselves. We simply need to be open and allow ourselves to wonder. When we feel that, that instinct of revulsion or disgust, we need to notice it. And instead of letting that response control us, we need to turn towards curiosity and be interested. Because the beauty's there if we take time to wonder and let it be revealed. And, and not only vultures, we can, you know, we can practice this with, with anything, with bugs or with spiders. You stopped to look at a spider recently, how she, she spins this intricate web that actually eat, catches and eats all the bugs that bother us, there's beauty there. 
We could practice with weeds like dandelions or pests like ants that have these incredible colonies. There's beauty there. And and perhaps most of all, we need to practice with the people around us, the ones that annoy us, the ones who scare us, the ones that we're really judgy about. What beauty is lurking there? And what beauty is lurking inside of ourselves? Especially the parts that feel ugly as the vulture with its bloody head or weak like the vulture's wings. Is there beauty there? How is death becoming life? Where is there potential to soar impossibly high? Can we see the beauty inside ourselves, that divine spark? I think we need a more lively imagination that that goes beyond our culture's vision of beauty. Because sometimes we get, we get confined by what we've been taught and we lack the imagination to see the beauty around the world and the beauty inside each one of us. And sometimes we get so confined by what we've known about God. We get confined by what we've been told about God that we lack the imagination to see how God is being revealed right before our eyes. But if we can turn to wonder, if we can be open to finding beauty in everything that initially disgusts us, we may be lifted up on the wings of vultures. Amen.